Hello, and welcome to IRI Growth Insights, featuring IRI thought leaders, industry partners, and guests. For more than 40 years, IRI has been known for its invaluable data, but these podcasts delve into the insights the data reveal to fuel market disruption and market growth for those in the CPG, retail, healthcare, and media markets. I'm your host, Joan Driggs, coming to you from IRI's corporate headquarters in Chicago. Hello, and welcome to another episode of IRI Growth Insights. I'm Joan Driggs, and today I'm joined by colleagues Larry Levin, Executive Vice President, Market and Shopper Intelligence, and Chris Dubois, Senior Vice President of the Protein Practice here at IRI. Today, we're going to be talking about cooking confidently. Um, Throughout the pandemic, IRI has identified a valuable audience of confident cooks, Um, We want to keep them. We want to nurture them. So today we're going to be talking about how consumption has changed over the pandemic and how we can encourage these confident cooks to keep at it. Um, Chris, you and I have talked before about the tremendous increase in meat consumption. In fact, um, I guess you could say the tremendous increase of all food consumption throughout the pandemic as we ate all our meals at home. Um, But one of the more positive outcomes was that a lot of people with very little experience in the kitchen picked up new skills. Um, And you, of course, refer to them as confident cooks. So can you start by telling us who are these confident cooks? Yeah, the funny part about all this is when we started COVID, we saw big, big increases in sales and volume in meat. And if you go back to a lot of the discussions we've had inside industry associations about how do you get people to cook more? How do you teach them to learn new skills and try new cuts? I think of all the days and all the ideas we ever put up on a whiteboard, zero of the ideas said start a pandemic. Because that, and the weird part is that was actually the right answer. Yeah. And so what we found in this pandemic was that there are groups of people that went from, say, um, from buying their usual meat and seafood and cuts and meals, and they really expanded their repertoire. And the average U.S. household buys about 10 cuts a year. And, you know, that's not much. You know, there might be different flavors, but it's not different cuts. And even at the height of the pandemic, that number didn't move. But for 8% of the households, that number moved dramatically. And for 22% of the households, that number moved a lot as well. So 8% of the households um, increased from 10 cuts per year on average to 18. They tried a lot of different cuts. And if you look at the next group called cooking enthusiasts, they moved, um, that's about 22% of the U.S. population, they moved to about 14 different cuts on average. So that's a big difference. Um, coming through and it, it reflects both their confidence as well as um, you know the recipes and the way that they they um, shopped in 2020 in 2020. When you think about it, Joan, that these two groups that Chris is referring to, they drove 94% of the growth in the meat industry last year. So you got 30% of the population driving virtually all of the growth. And you know, it's really a fantastic um, endorsement 
for creativity and for for confidence, and hence the name, confident cooks and cooking enthusiasts. Do they? Do we have kind of a profile of who these people are, um, and then maybe we can talk a little bit about what got them to expand their repertoire from you know a few cuts to dozens of cuts or nearly a dozen and a dozen and a half cuts. Yeah, you know we were able to look pretty deeply at the <clears throat> consumer profiles of these different folks and the cooking enthusiasts generally are more affluent. They tend to have older kids at home. Um, they do have a little bit more of a um, an Asian and African-American bent to them than the general population, uh, a little bit bigger households. But I think importantly, they really wanted to bring the restaurant experience home. And a lot of the consumers we talked to said that uh, with the pandemic and the shutdown of restaurants, that just gave them that opportunity to uh, really bring the experience home, bring premiumization home, and they were willing to experiment. Some consumers we talked to uh, were buying cuts of meats that they had never bought before. There was one person talking about buying bacon wrap fillets. There was another person who talked about taking uh, and making spaghetti out of palm leaves. So just very, very intriguing use of different aspects of the store to really bring a unique experience home. And so, you know, the cooking enthusiasts are not all about the meats they bought. It's just about the experimentation they bought as well. Well, and that you certainly mentioned a couple of things that certainly speak to the affluence. Um, but I think part of this experimentation particularly around meat, you know, not necessarily just for meat, but particularly around meat, had to do with availability. Um, Chris, you and I had talked earlier in the pandemic where it wasn't necessarily that there wasn't enough animal protein to go around. It was just that people were forced to um, take what was available. So maybe that stretched them a little bit. Um, but Larry, you also mentioned that these people are out there looking for inspiration, looking for you know, new things to try. So let's talk about that a little bit. Where is, who is stepping up and providing this inspiration? From what we saw last year, there was a big change in terms of where consumers got a lot of this information. So what we've seen is a rise of social media, the ability to kind of suggest and make recipes go viral. Um, more and more people would find recipes from TikTok you know, um, and so many other different sites that weren't around five years ago. In a big way. So if you think about how you want to market recipes, and that's a big deal because that's that's how people get inspiration. It's a whole new platform these days. It's not about finding something in the New York Times, printing it off, keeping it in your cupboard, hoping you don't lose it or spill on it. Mm -hmm. It's a completely different way of having of using phones, iPads, other types of tools to be able to help in the kitchen. Yeah, I think shoppable recipes um, really took off during the pandemic. And we do have a, um, a podcast um, that we did with Chicory on shoppable recipes. So exciting. And so many more brands and retailers are adopting that as a way to provide that inspiration and maybe a little bit more confidence, too, for some of these cooks. And it's a great way for retailers to convert it. So shoppable recipes has been coming for about a year or two, but it really blossomed last year between you know, Yumly and so many other different sites. What we're seeing now is it's going from recipe right to right to market basket, or at least for something that the consumer can go and buy. So the retailer is higher conversion. They've got a better view of where these are coming from, which recipes are working, which people are bringing in the recipes. 
And to some degree, you can even see the clicks behind it to see you know, how much people are browsing, where they came from, what, what else they're doing. It's a wealth of knowledge. So no longer is it just a recipe you know, is out there and people glom onto it. It's really seeing the whole marketing interaction going from start to finish. You know, I'd also like to talk a little bit about some of the new tools um, that people are using. Um, we know from a conversation that we had with Brian Cornell, the CEO of Target early in the pandemic, that um, Target in particular was like wiped out of small kitchen appliances. Um, I know that like air fryers and stuff really took off. What are you seeing in terms of um, how cooks, how confident cooks are stocking their kitchen? I think it does go to some of that. They're definitely buying <clears throat> air fryers. They're buying, uh, <clears throat> you know, long, uh, they're buying cookers. Uh, you know, they're buying a lot of these different things that can enable both their ability to, um, you know, create on the fly, but also to make it convenient to, to cook really whatever they want. And so they've, you know, really gone out of their way to buy some of these new practices. And like Chris likes to talk about, there's, 33 million expanded uh, meal occasions because of the work from home. And so as part of working from home, making it more fun, making it more accessible is buying these different uh, uh, appliances for the kitchen that can aid it and, and also bring some, bring some creativity to it. We're seeing a, a huge increase in just penetration by household now. So in other words, it doesn't take 10, 20 years for things to ramp up you may see very large household penetration in five years. So Instant Pot right now is in about, or pressure cookers are in about 60% of U.S. households, somewhere between 55 and 60. That's a big deal. So those are innovation platforms. Those aren't just individual tools that may sit there. Air fryers are used an awful lot. So when, when marketers and retailers know to some degree which where appliances are, and if they're big enough to be addressable, and many are now, then people have used these, they've tried them and they've used them multiple times. So this is a way to create new products that fit into those and to help you know, guide consumers to building meals, putting products together. Consumers are looking for that and we're seeing innovation now come out exactly on platforms. So to me, these are big innovation platforms. And if marketers don't change their focus from form and, and spice to how do I get people to use a, an air fryer? How do I get people to use an instant or a, um, an instant pot or a grill or a smoker with my products, they're really missing it. And you know, and the ones that kind of stand out are going to do do well in the next five years. So the, to me, this is a whole innovation mindset change. Well, and that's what I want to talk about too. Is that you know we we we've talked about the expanded occasions, and as Larry mentioned, you know things are starting to change now. People are starting to go back to work. Kids will return to school. Um, and we did work very hard to create new experiences during the pandemic. Um, I mean, I can think of like, you know, a new Netflix series. Let's celebrate. Let's, you know, create a Super Bowl spread just to celebrate something like this. But what happens now? Um, you know, you've mentioned meal kits, which I would think would keep some of the excitement, um, keep some of the enthusiasm and the convenience of cooking at home after we have less time for it. Um, but what else? I mean, could we have like a global taste of the month at your local retailer or something like that? How do we keep this excitement coming? 
Well, I think one of the ways to keep the excitement coming is, uh, you know, whether it's the, you know, the retailer offering like the flavor of the month, but I think instructing, I, I think just offering programs to teach your shoppers how to experience the the same benefits that a confident cook or a cooking enthusiast is is is, show, is seeing, build on their confidence, show them how to grill a steak, show them how to make fish. You know, like Chris always likes to say that unless you're really confident, you're not going to buy fish because you can't afford to get it wrong. It's too expensive to get it wrong. And so the more that we can be bringing along the the shopper and the consumer and showing him or her how to cook, the better it's going to be. I also think that the retailers could leverage the butcher as the pharmacist of his his or her category and really get them to bring the consumer along. It's a journey. And this is the one area of the store in particular that confidence is so essential. And especially if I'm going to continue to cook more at home. Well, I do know, you know, one of the things that we looked at was um, boomers in particular, you know, they had that confidence in the kitchen, but they're the ones who are looking for inspiration. Um, so I think you're right. I think it's still continuing the education, but it's got to be that constant inspiration. Keep me excited about bringing out that cooker or, you know, firing up the grill, right? And, and I think that's where social media plays a big role because you're being inspired by your peers, you're not necessarily being inspired by influencers. You certainly are seeing the influencers inspiring too, but there's a lot of people that are just posting their you know, latest uh, baking options or their latest uh, barbecue, you know, whatever they just barbecued. And it's showing that this is a peer of mine doing it. And so I think it's both inspiration and inspiring that's happening for the consumer and helps him or her along that journey. I like that. And I think it, it, Larry, that speaks to the sense of community, um, right. you know, because people then feel like they're part of something bigger um, if they're following some of these trends. Yep. Yeah, I like that a lot. Um, let's talk about e-commerce a little bit, because that certainly changed the way people shop. Um, and I think that there are more opportunities for retailers and brands to kind of get noticed um, via e-commerce. So can we talk a little bit about that and, and even how we're changing what we're buying online? You know, Larry and I have been speaking about e-commerce for, gosh, I don't know how many years now in terms of what's coming. And if you'd kind of heard us back in 2014, 15, it's like, yeah, here it is. It's it's moving. It moved a nice percentage, you know, a nice percentage gain, but it's still small. And for a while, it was always Hey Chris, yeah, the number is still small, even if it's growing. Well, last year, it hit just a very, very big numbers in terms of adoption, growth, and and it's become a mainstream part, an important part that forced retailers to change over their stores. So what Americans have become used to, and it's very similar to what we've seen in the EU and uh, and other places that are probably a little bit more advanced in terms of this trend. Is food now is not it, it, food is not a place you go to go buy something. In other words, we're not going to the store to buy food. We're not going to the restaurant to buy food. Food is coming out, so it's something that people can take home with them. Whether it's groceries, or it may be restaurant food delivered. And as as you know, we're seeing food service change over dramatically. Doors are changing. Drive-throughs are happening. Uh, menus are changing. So the whole idea that you have to go to a restaurant or go to a grocery store to buy food, 
is almost gone. And as you're as you're seeing it, the all the all every grocer right now is working to offer that flexibility to to let consumers choose what they want to do, whether they want to walk through the store and pick or or take you know order something and take it away. But when I look online and um, I'm shopping, if I look up something for lunch, you know, expecting to get like some lunch ideas, maybe I'll see Lunchables. I'm not being directed to the deli. I'm not being shown different parts of the store where I can, you know, get some creative ideas. So how do we, how do we fill that gap? Yeah. Search is still the single biggest problem for, for supermarket foods. And it's, it's honestly hard to find products. It's hard to find meals and get it configured in a way, but it doesn't mean that it's going to be this way forever. Yeah, so most of the big retailers are spending an awful lot of money trying to get this right. So if you kind of think five years out, I would expect major, major changes as technology changes, artificial intelligence changes, machine learning, and all the other things that are going on behind the scenes come to play. And so, yes, it's rough now, but it should be even a lot more smoother down the line is is my take. And I have to say, it's like, you know, maybe it's the um, evolution of our, of the cell phone or the smartphone, you know, that we're grateful for what we have until the next best thing comes along. And it's like, wow, we've just advanced so fast. So I'm old, yeah, I'm old enough to remember that Motorola phone years ago, and that was late 80s. I mean, it was, the phone was as big as my head and that's saying something. So. <laughs> Yeah, if you think about trying to carry that around or the old compact laptop that was like the size of an American tourist or suitcase, like those were that was that was kind of ugly, but it was a big deal. You know, and now we just take it for granted that we have a supercomputer in our hands, you know, called a, a called a phone. Look at some of the stoic categories in in meat that have been really strong with brick and mortar are making growth in e-commerce, like frozen meats in particular, or even lunch meats have, have seen growth in a lot of the research that we've been uncovering. And so it's showing that those transitions can happen and, and people can buy the, the staples they used to buy in brick and mortar, they're buying online now, whether it's click and collect or it's being sent right to their home. But You're right. You know, that those were like considered perishable items and people did not have the faith that they would make them to their home integrity right. intact. So um, good point, truly. And I think that I'm just looking now for more ease on my phone. Um, yeah. I'm going to look for it to be quicker and I'm going to look for someone to say, hey, make some recommendations, Joan. You know, here's some here's some great suggestions for a different meal occasion. Um, or even just a different occasion, period. Um, and that's where the whole shopability of online becomes important because as Chris likes to say, and I know you like to say, Joan, that once a brand gets on the uh, e-shopping list, that's, that stickiness is hard to move. So when I'm the incumbent brand, if I'm the first one on the list, I'm going to uh, most likely get the repeat purchase and probably not necessarily have to give my product away. That there's right. a, you know, people are, not as uh, you know price driven as they are because it's about the convenience, it's about the experience that they've had. So it's so important to make that e list. Yep, you're absolutely right. And I think you know, Larry, you and I work on new products every year. What a great way to kind of promote discovery um, of new products is online, particularly when you already have that shopper coming to your brand. 
um, what a great way to incentivize them to try another one of your products. Yep. Lots of hope for the future. So um, as we wrap up, I'd like to get some of your comments on where you think we're going to go, um, how, how these confident cooks will feel, say, a year from now. I think a year from now, the confident cooks are going to feel even more confident because I think that they like the experimentation. I think they will go back to restaurants because they like that experience, but they will also continue to uh, be an important force within this category and continue to drive outsized growth. I think the other big opportunity is to convert more of these cooking enthusiasts to confident cooks because they're kind of on that cusp. And the more that we can bring them along and build out that confident cook base, the stronger and better it's going to be, not just for the meat industry, but think about all of the other premium products that are purchased along with that, that those meat purchases that are being built, uh, being brought. Does it impact wine? Does it impact uh, the rest of the perimeter? There's a lot of areas that become a halo to these uh, confident cooks. You know, in fact, I think I'm going to predict that there's going to be a return of dinner parties. Um, you know, smaller groups of people, but really premium, show off those skills to some of your nearest and dearest. Well, it could be fun to do progressive dinners like that, Oh, yeah. where everybody participates a little bit, you know, and it's not just the, the host that's doing it. Mm-hmm. Chris, how about you? What, are you? what are you seeing for the year to come? Yeah, I see uh, the same thing Larry does on that side. And I, I think also what Larry was touching on, the, the work from home piece um, is a big deal too that I, I see continuing for quite a long time. In other words, we've seen a three to four percent or three to four times increase in the number of people working at home per day, you know, then com- compared to 2017. And that creates an enormous amount of meal occasions. And Larry's right, it's 33 million. So if you think about every day, there's more people who can plan dinner and think about it and more people who are looking for different lunch solutions. I think you're going to see a lot more innovation and a lot more of the same behavior that Larry, you and Larry were just discussing. And it's simply because we've changed locations. We're not commuting, you know, a long ways to work and back that um, it creates more opportunities for entertaining and cooking. And um, so the behaviors we've learned should continue. You know, it's also interesting that um, we, we've changed the way we cook, but yet still a third of the population doesn't know at four o'clock what they're doing for dinner. And that's down from 40% a couple of years ago. But when you think about a third of the population doesn't know what they're doing for dinner, that becomes an amazing digital outreach. And, you know, I would uh, certainly recommend that our retail and manufacturing partners think about ways to communicate to the consumer you know, mid-afternoon is a way to inspire them with some of the creativity that their products can bring to the dinner table. And if right. you think about that idea of a shoppable recipe, that's a great time to put something in there as far as inspiration, because someone could click it, buy it, and stop at a local retailer to pick it up on the way home. So that that idea of how do you take advantage of it can be exactly that kind of platform and solution. When someone's saying, I don't know what I want to cook for, you know, show me something good. Right. So um, just to recap, I want to, I think, emphasize that we have 33 million new meal occasions that we're, we want to hang on to, um, that a lot of these meal occasions are being driven by, what did you say, a third of the population, Larry? Yeah. Okay. So we've got a small group, relatively, 
um, that could certainly grow. So maybe we could even like hang on to these and maybe even continue to encourage more people into that confident cook category. Um, it's an audience we now know exists. Um, we can target them. Um, they are premium shoppers. They're looking for inspiration. Um, they just have to be part communicated to. It's a great community to to um, inspire and target, right? Yeah, and again, I would say it's not just to inspire, but they also will inspire. So they become an extended mouthpiece of a manufacturer's marketing department, if you will, because they like to be inspired, but also inspire. And they're the ones who are out there on Pinterest and, right. um, like you said, showing off their skills and influencing others along the way. Love it. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you both so much. And um, until next time, take care. Thanks, Joe. Thanks a lot, Joe. Thank you for listening. Please become a subscriber and let us know what you want to learn more about. We'll serve it up in a future IRI Growth Insights episode. Look for us wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to review IRI Growth Insights. Also, visit us on the web at iriworldwide.com and connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn.